Man, we're in, a, we're in week five of uh, this study, the crossover study in the life of Abraham. Man, uh, we've learned that Abraham, he's, he's widely considered uh, and really is, he's the father of faith. Uh, he's the father of faith. Uh, and what does that mean to be the father of faith? Well, to save uh, the world from sin, God had to be born in the world in Jesus Christ. Man, that is the crux of God's plan. He had to be born in the world in Jesus Christ. And so that means he had to start a lineage. And, and to start a lineage, you got to start somewhere. You got to start a line of descendants. Uh, you have to start a lineage somewhere. And man, uh, he starts with Abraham. Abraham, he is uh, the first Hebrew person. He's the first Jewish person. Um, he's the first Hebrew person. And man, what that word means, Hebrew, uh, it means to cross over. It means to cross over. That's where we get the, the, the title of this study in the life of Abraham. God is taking Abraham and his family, his nephew, his wife, um, and, and his people on a journey, and, and they're called to cross over. They're called to cross over from the, the kingdom of the world to the kingdom of God. You know, we're, they're called to cross over from an old way to a new way, from an old identity to a new identity, from making old decisions to making new decisions, being better in that. And we're seeing each week by week, Abraham is walking in faith. Uh, Abraham has failed. You know, we're seeing in Abraham and his family, they're not perfect, man. They mess up. They mess up, they jack things up, uh, they sin, but they also have their successes and they have their, their victories, and it's just this mix of, of, of failure and success. And man, I don't know about you guys, but this resonates with me because th my life is just a mixture of uh, failure and success. Um, but man, the one thing that really shines throughout everything in these scriptures is that God is faithful. He's faithful simply to those who are faithful to him. Uh, it's not about any right decision or wrong decision that we make. That's not what it's about. Are we faithful? And man, when we put our faith and trust in Christ, man, we are faithful to God and he is faithful to us. He is completely faithful to us and he provides for us. And that's what we've been seeing in this study. Last week, uh, Abram's nephew Lot, uh, his nephew Lot, because of a bad decision, he was fooled by temptation. Uh, he gets caught in a war. Man, we saw this crazy war between like nine armies last week. Uh, this, this crazy war. And Abraham comes in and he, he saves Lot. He, he saves the oppressed cities uh, of Canaan. He comes in and saves uh, the day. And today, today we actually now we see the fallout for Abram after this great victory. We see a little bit of the fallout after this great victory. Abram is a bit, is a bit he's on a bit of a winning streak right now. You know, he's making good decisions. You know, he, he, he's doing some things right. He, his, his faith is growing. He's growing in faith. And, uh, you know, th this sermon uh, today, I, I want to call it thanks but no thanks. I want to call it thanks, but no thanks. Man, walking with Jesus is a relationship, really, it's of initiative. You know, we, we, we take command and we say yes to things in our lives that Jesus, that he calls us to, uh, his commands. But man, uh, you know, it's also very much a relationship of restraint. Do you guys see that in your lives? It's, it's saying no to things. It's saying no to things. You know, God makes it clear that, you know, we, we should do things, do these things, and we shouldn't do these things. So, man, I don't know about you, but I don't have as much of a hard time saying yes, but I often have a hard time saying no. You know, when things come up, temptations come up, I, I have a harder time saying no than I do saying yes. And, man, that, that's, we're, we're going to see that in today's scripture. You know, 
uh, there's this, just this collision in our world of, of rights and wrongs, right and wrongs and temptations. You know, tonight is the Super Bowl, and, you know, I, I'm going to watch the Super Bowl. I don't know about you guys. Um, I, I'm not a, a, a fan of either team, really, but I love the competition. I love to watch the competition. And something that's as fun as watching the Super Bowl, at least for me, uh, man, you know, there is a really dark side to the Super Bowl that most people don't know. You know, during the Super Bowl, on this great weekend, um, crime like skyrockets, particularly in the city where the Super Bowl is. Um, it, within the glitz and the glamour and the brightness and, you know, the awesomeness that you see on TV, there is a dark side to the Super Bowl. Sex trafficking, it increases. It skyrockets in that city. Prostitution, it increases. It skyrockets. DUIs. You know, just bad decisions, bad decisions that we're making uh, on a day like this. And we should remember that, that there's this dark side to, to this world. And th there's this collision of right and wrong and, and temptations. And our lives are often made or broken on our decisions. They're often made, our day is often made on our decisions. Yes or no. Yes or no is just that simple decision. And man, many of these lines, uh, they're blurred. They're blurred uh, in the world, you know, right and wrong. We can see uh, many of the lines are blurred and we often don't know what to do or what's right or what's wrong. You know, it's too much for our natural eyes to, to discern. We are simply in our own strength and in, in our own way of seeing things, our own perspectives. We are not wise or strong enough to navigate in our own strength. We just aren't. And if we think we can, it will catch up to us. It will catch up to us. So, man, we want to get ahead. We want to get ahead, and we want to make the, the right decisions in our lives and, and do what God wants us to do for his glory and, and for the good um, of our lives, man. So um, God, in the midst of all of this, man, he, he provides a way. He, he gives us a way to do this, and that's what we're going to see today. So let's get into the scripture in Genesis. Genesis 14, uh, verses 17 through 24. And it's on the screen. The scripture says this, starting in 17. So this is after the war that Abram saves the day. The scripture says, After his return from the defeat of Kedorlaomer and the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom went out to meet him at the valley of Sheva, that is the king's valley. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High, and he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abram gave him a tenth of everything. And the king of Sodom said to Abram, Give me the persons, but take the goods for yourself. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have lifted my hand to the Lord, God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, that I would not take a thread or a sandal strap of, or anything that is yours, lest you should say, I have made Abram rich. I will take nothing but what the young men have eaten and the share of the men who went with me. Let Aner, Eshel, and Mamre take their share. Man, Abram just finished off a stunning and miraculous victory over Kedorlaomer and the three other kings of the Jordan Valley. And Abram now has a few encounters. That's what's happening now. He, he has a few encounters uh, after this victory. 
And man, after this victory, man, you, everything is great. I won, Abram's like, and now all of a sudden, in comes this temptation. In comes this temptation. This temptation comes his way as he encounters the king of Sodom. And though God saved the king of Sodom through Abram, God saved the king of Sodom through Abram in his grace, but the king of Sodom is not a friend of God. He is not a friend of Abram. He's not a friend of Abram, but an enemy. He's an enemy. All glory to God for the grace that he showed in saving the king of Sodom. All glory to God for showing that grace. But he is an enemy to Abram and, and God. And the king tells Abram that he can keep the spoil, he can keep the valuable things, the goods for himself, but give me the people. Now, he doesn't want to do great things with these people. This king is not. He's not, he's not a good king. Uh, his, 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 the reasons why he wants the people back are not good. They're not good. So the pressure to accept this was great. For Abram, the pressure to accept this was great. This is a powerful king that was expressing gratitude. And to reject the king would, oft, would, would risk a angering the king, right? So up, and up to this point, Abraham only took orders from God. Up to this point, he only took orders from God. And if he accepted this gift from king, because the king, because this is how it works back then, and it still kind of works this way today, if he accepted this gift from the king, he'd never be holy God's man again. He would never be holy God's man again. Because to accept a gift from the king would have been to attach himself to the king and to be in his debt. To attach himself to the king and be in his debt. Man, so Abram says no. Abram says no. He, he turns it down to guard his honor and his integrity and to preserve God's uh, reputation. He accepts nothing except a, a re reimbursement for expenses. That's basically what he does here. He accepts nothing from him except the reimbursement for the expenses, man. Abram is basically like, he's like, I know your motive. I know your motive. I can see the trap. I can see the trap. This is a trap. But I can only serve one king at a time. That's basically what he's saying. I can only serve one king at a time. I choose to serve God. I choose to serve God with a single-minded, undivided heart. If I take this gift from you, I'm attaching myself to you. And I'm in debt to you. I will not be in debt to you, king of Sodom. That's what Abram is saying. I take orders from God. Abram is saying thanks, but no thanks. Thanks, but no thanks. Abram crosses over. Abram crosses over. Man, let's apply this, man. Let's apply this encounter with this king of Sodom. Satan loves to attack us with temptation. He loves to attack us with temptation after a great victory. After a great victory, he loves to come in and attack us with temptation. It's when we least expect it, right? After a great victory, everything is great. Man, this is awesome. You know, we, we don't expect this. It's rarely obvious when the temptations come and we're caught off guard because maybe we just won a victory. Maybe we just won a victory and we're caught off guard and our defenses are down, right? Our defenses are down. Abram's defenses are probably down. Man, we are most vulnerable when everything is going well. We are. When everything is going well, we are vulnerable. That's because, that's because why? Because, man, you know, when things are going well, we don't pray as much, right? 
we don't pray as much. Maybe we stop coming to church and hearing a word or worshiping when everything is going well. Man, our defenses are down when everything is going well. We don't, I experienced this. Man, when things are going well, I don't pray as much. I don't pray as much. I don't do it. We get a little cocky, right? There's probably been times when you felt trapped into saying yes. There's probably been times when you felt trapped saying yes to somebody or something that you should say no to. That you should say no to. Temptation, it often comes in the form of what seems good. It often comes in the form of what seems good. You know, the spoil that, that Abram had from all these cities in the Jordan Valley. He had all this spoil, just a train of goods for miles and miles. All of this stuff. You know, it looks good. Like, wow. Man, this, this looks really good, but it's not. It's not good. Man, remember how Lot failed a few weeks ago. He chose the Jordan Valley. Why? Because it looked good to his eyes. And it looked good to his eyes, but it wasn't good because there was trouble ahead. There was trouble ahead. Man, it can be something that feels good, but it isn't good. It can be something that feels good, but it isn't good. Not everything that feels good is good in our lives. Man, maybe it's an emotion that we think will make us feel better if we act on it, but in the end, it only leads to trouble. Man, maybe it's just like harsh words that we think will make us feel better. Man, I'm so angry, and I just got to say this to my, my wife or my spouse or my, my friend. I'm so angry, and if I, if I, I think if I just say these harsh words, I'll feel better. Right? No. <laughs> That's not how it's going to work. It's just going to bring trouble to the relationship. It's going to damage the relationship. It can be things that look good, but they're not good. It can be things that look good, but aren't good. Man, our, 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 our culture, our society is just being destroyed by pornography. I'm going to confront that right now. Our culture and our society is being, men and women, our psychology and our hearts and our minds are being deeply affected by pornography. It might look good. It's not good. Man, it is not good at all. It destroys marriages. It destroys relationships. It destroys our perception of men and women in our lives. And we give in to that temptation over and over again. It can be things that actually are good things, it can be things that actually are good things, but we make them into destructive things into our lives. We make them into destructive things into our lives. Probably, I would say, the three most powerful draws in the world with potential for both good and evil are money, power, and sex. Money, power, and sex. So much potential for good with the right motives, with the right intentions. But man, so much evil comes out of these three things when our intentions are not right and our motives are not right. So much heartache and so much trouble comes out of these three things. But man, there's so much potential for good. It just depends our motives, our intentions, the decisions we're making. Why? Why do I want more money? There's nothing wrong with having more money. There's nothing wrong with having money. But why? Why? What are my intentions? What are my motives? There's nothing wrong with power. There's nothing wrong with influence. But what are your intentions? What are your motives? And there's nothing wrong with sex. Nothing wrong with it. What are your intentions? What are your motives? Man, and are, are we doing it 
within the boundaries that God sets up for it. Man, we have to think about those things. Or maybe, maybe it is a literal gift like we see here in the scripture. Maybe it's a literal gift that would bring you into a relationship with somebody with ill-intentioned motives. Man, if I accept this gift to this person, then it's going to attach me to this person, and I don't want to be attached to this, per- to this person. I don't want to be in debt to this person. Maybe it is a literal gift that, that, that comes along the way. Guys, Satan is always trying to get us to give a little bit more of ourselves to him. Always. Always. And it always comes after a victory. Man, it always comes when we're, when we're comfortable and our, our defenses are down, our guard is down. He's always trying to get us to give a little bit more of ourselves to him through these temptations. Man, in the 1950s, y'all, I just, some of you might have been alive in the 1950s. There's this like boom of game shows because TV just came out. So all these game shows came out. Then there's a huge scandal on this game show called, I think it was called 20-something or something like that. 1950s, this guy Charles Van Doren is his name. He's an English teacher at Columbia University. Super smart, super smart. Man, he goes in with good intentions. Like, man, I just want to use my knowledge and share my knowledge. And it's, it was kind of like a Jeopardy type show in the 1950s, right? And, and he signs up and he makes it in. And then the producers start telling him, you know what? We're going to actually kind of help you behind the scenes to, to win all of this money. You know, we're, we're going to help you behind the scenes to do this. And he's like, man, is that right? And he's like, oh, he, they're like, and they're like, no, 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 it's okay. Like, this is, this is like show business. Everything's fake. It's okay. We help contestants all the time. So he's like, oh, okay, cool. So he goes with it. He goes with it, wins a lot of money. I think he won like $129,000, which is a lot of money back in the 1950s. Wins a lot of money. Man, and what happens? It all comes out. He did the wrong thing. He shouldn't have listened to those producers. He loses the money. His reputation is tarnished. I think he lost his job at Columbia University. And what he thought was good, it ended up being a complete heartache and a complete trouble in his life. Man, he did not have the wisdom to see that I should not do this. Man, for how intelligent that he was, man, he said yes to something that he should have said no to. He said yes to something that he should have said no to. Life is filled with subtle temptations every day. Every day, life is filled with subtle temptations. Innocent offers that we're eager to rationalize, that we're eager to justify, but we know our wrong. But we know our wrong. Where Lot failed in his choice of the Jordan Valley a couple weeks ago, he walked by sight. Abram succeeds here. Man, Abram succeeds. He's growing in his faith. You know, he sees the trap. He sees the trap. He has victory over temptation. His victory in the war just a a few days ago, his victory in the war, that was great. Man, a victory over temptation is greater. It's greater in our lives. This faithful declaration is a significant victory. It's a significant victory. He's on a winning streak. Man, he's making good decisions. His faith is growing. How does Abram see through this trap? How does he do it? How does he see through this trap? Man, we have to understand the encounter that he had before this encounter. There was a few encounters here. So we've seen this encounter with the king of Sodom. Man, how does he see through this trap? And we have to look at this encounter with this other guy. So before encountering the king of Sodom, 
before encountering the king of Sodom, Abram had an encounter with this guy named Melchizedek. He encounters this guy with this weird name, Melchizedek. Melchizedek, he was the king of a small town called Salem. And Salem was actually the precursor of the city that is now known as Jerusalem. This was like the, the, the origination of the city of Jerusalem is this small little town called Salem. And Melchizedek is the king of this little town called Salem. And he is the priest of God Most High. He is a priest. He, 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 he is a worshiper of the God of Israel, the true God. And Melchizedek, he does these things for Abram. And, and Melchizedek's first act of ministry to Abram is what? His first act of ministry to Abram is to remind him of the character and the limitless resources of God. He reminds him of the character and the limitless resources of God. He basically is saying, God is the creator and possessor of heaven and earth. Man, he made and he owns the whole universe. There is nothing that anybody that can give you that isn't already God's, and that's not already yours because of God. Man, that's basically what he is saying. The limitless resources of, of your God, your God, the true God of Israel. And there is nothing the king of Sodom can offer that is greater than what God can offer. Nothing. Or that isn't God's already. That isn't God's already. Melchizedek's second act of ministry. He has a second act of ministry here to Abram. He reminds him of what God has done in defeating his enemies. He reminds him of what God has done in defeating his enemies. Man, how easy it is to forget. How easy it is to forget what God did yesterday or last month, or last year. And we so easily forget what God has done. Abram reminds him of what God has done in defeating his enemies in the war that we saw last week. Melchizedek's third act of ministry here was to serve and nourish Abram after this battle with bread and wine. His third act of ministry is just to serve him and to just nourish. This is a king. This is a king. The king of Salem, Melchizedek, Kings don't serve people. Kings don't serve people. Not, not the kings of the world. Man, this king, this king is different. This king is different. He serves Abram and he nourishes him with bread and wine. Melchizedek is a representative of God and he is on Abram's side. He's on Abram's side. Man, he, and, he resp- and, and, he, and Abram, he responds by giving him a tenth of all of the spoil. He responds by giving him a tithe, a tenth. He responds by giving him a tenth of all of the spoil. And man, this symbolizes that it all belonged to God. Abram is worshiping God in the moment. Man, it all belongs to God. This is the spirit in which we should give to God. It revitalized Abram to give. It revitalizes him to give. And so it does for us, man. It revitalizes us to be generous. It revitalized. You know, when you give a generous gift to somebody, it makes you feel really good. You get a little bit more of a bounce in your step, right? It revitalizes us to be generous. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Guys, now we understand why God intervenes and puts Melchizedek in Abram's path before he meets with the king of Sodom. Now we see why God intervenes by putting him in his path before he meets the king of Sodom. Abram was no different than you or me. Abram was no different than you or me. He was susceptible to falling into a trap and succumbing to temptation. 
The Melchizedek encounter, it's a ministry of help. It's a ministry of help and preparation to Abram. It strengthened him. It strengthened him and it reset his perspective. Right? Melchizedek reminds him of these things about God. It resets his perspective. It gives him strength and it nourishes him. And so this is how he sees the trap. This is how he sees the trap. God provided a way. He knew what was coming in the king of Sodom, and God provided a way. Melchizedek aligns his perspective with God and what he has done. Abram rose up. Abram rose up, and he goes out and meets the king. He goes out and meets the king, and he had the tools. He had the tools. He was ready. He was ready for the trap and the temptation that was coming. Guys, for every temptation that comes, God intervenes. God intervenes with a blessing before. For every temptation that comes, God intervenes with a blessing before that prepares us and that makes a path for us. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 11 through 13. The scripture says this, and it's on the screen. If you think you are standing firm, man, you're comfortable, you know, you're feeling good, maybe your guard is down, your defenses are down, you're getting a little cocky, you're not praying as much. If you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall, the scripture says. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. Man, we all experience the same temptations. We all experience the same temptations for one way or another. And then it says, and God is faithful. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out. He will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. So that you can endure it. Man, amen. Amen. As we rely on God's strength, not our own strength, as we rely on God's strength and not our own, God will provide a way for us to get through this temptation in our lives. Temptations and traps are going to come. They're going to crumb. But the cross, the cross of Jesus Christ is the ultimate intervening blessing. The cross is the ultimate and intervening blessing that has come to prepare the way it has come to prepare the way. This is why we must fix our eyes on Jesus. This is why we must fix our eyes on Jesus with single-minded, undivided devotion to him. Man, the scriptures tell us that Jesus is a priest in the order of Melchizedek. Jesus is the priest in the order of Melchizedek. The scriptures say in multiple places, he is a priest in the order of Melchizedek. Jesus fulfills the same priestly function, but infinitely greater to all who call upon his name by faith. He fulfills this function that Melchizedek was fulfilling into Abraham, but he does it much infinitely and greater than Melchizedek ever did. Guys, the priesthood of Jesus is a ministry of help. It's a ministry of help to those facing troubles and trials. And it's not just some people experiencing that. Everybody. Everybody. Everybody in here right now is facing troubles and trials. Man, I don't care how good you look. You may have an awesome hairstyle and just look great and handsome and, yeah, whatever. Whatever. You may look good. We, we are all experiencing 
troubles and trials. I don't care how much money you got and how set you are. I don't care what kind of car you drive. Nothing wrong with all that. You've got troubles. You've got trials. And Jesus is a ministry of help to everybody if we will just simply accept it. If we will just simply accept it in faith. Jesus knows the temptations we face. He knows the temptations we face. The decisions and the choices ahead of us. Look in the book of Hebrews. It says in chapter 4, it's on the screen, verses 15 to 16. For we do not have a high priest. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, and yet without sin. And yet without sin. Let us then, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. To help in time of need. Man, Jesus' temptation in the wilderness, you look at his temptation in the wilderness, man, Satan tempts him, he takes him up to a high mountain, and he's like, Jesus, if you bow down to me, I will give you all these kingdoms. And what's Jesus basically like? Thanks, but no thanks. Thanks, but no thanks. All those kingdoms you're pointing to me, they're mine already. They are my father's already. I will accept nothing from you that's not already mine and that's not already my father's. I won't accept anything from you. I will only accept that which comes from my father. Jesus says thanks, but no thanks. Jesus knows. Jesus knows what we are facing every day. Guys, life is filled with subtle temptations and innocent offers. But listen to me. Wrong doesn't always look wrong to us. Wrong doesn't always look wrong to us. Man, what God says is dangerous, it doesn't always seem dangerous. It doesn't always seem dangerous, man. We have to be careful. Evil Evil doesn't always appear so evil in our eyes. It doesn't always appear so evil in our eyes. We need protection. Man, we need providence. Not just from the external temptations, but from our own weakness, our own wandering, our own blindness. We need protection and providence from God, and we get it through Jesus. We so easily surrender our integrity. We do. We so easily surrender our integrity to Satan. And you know what? Not everything is Satan's fault. I know we tend to blame Satan for everything. Not everything is his fault. Sometimes it really is your fault. <laughs> Sometimes it really is your fault. We need protection and providence. Sometimes from ourselves. We do. Why? Why do we surrender our integrity? Why do we surrender our integrity to temptation, to Satan, even to ourselves? Well, it's because we have more in Christ than anything the world can offer. We forget that. We forget that. We have more in Christ than anything else the world can offer. Man, temptations from Satan or the treasures of the world are cereal box toys. Man, they are cereal box toys compared to what Jesus can offer us. Compared to what he does offer us. The true riches of a relationship with Jesus. The whole entire world and everything in it is nothing compared to the riches of a relationship with Jesus. And it's through the ministry of Jesus we see clearly 
It's through the ministry of Jesus and the cross. We see clearly what Melchizedek was showing Abram and preparing him for the way. And what was that? We see clearly of who God is. The creator of the earth. The possessor of the universe. He created all things. He owns all things. And we see that through the ministry of Jesus, who God is and what he has done in defeating temptation, defeating death, and defeating our enemies on the cross. Through the ministry of Jesus and the cross, we have the tools that we need to see the traps. We have the tools to cross over. We have the tools to cross over. We have the tools to say thanks, but no thanks. Man, let's pray.